Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition, the Round 18 edition of Crowcast. And it's going to be a little bit of a wake, I think, uh, because uh, we're all very let down and disappointed by proceedings on the weekend, and none more so, I'm sure, than my cohort, Macca. How are you going, Mac? Uh, well, I guess like everybody else, uh, very disappointed. Partly pissed off as well, but... Uh, uh, very very disappointed. Yeah, not a good time. Um, you know, two two games in a row now. Season really looking to be set up uh, by a win, and uh, certainly last night uh, to keep ourselves in the hunt. And we were found wanting, unfortunately. So uh, not good. Look, thanks to everyone who's joined us on Discord and also on the YouTube chat. Don't forget, if you're on our Discord live stage, you can raise your hand and have a chat with us. And I'm sure there might be a few people, Macca, that are just champing at the bit to have their say tonight. Um, because I certainly am. <laughs> I'm well, sure yeah, you there's want a lot to. Of, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, you know, I don't think... Uh, I don't think it was our best effort, not just on the ground, but off the ground as well. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of things, as you say, to talk about uh, in context of that win, mate. But first of all, as we always do, uh, because, you know, you just need your little five minutes of fame, uh, we'll go on and talk about the weekend's results, shall we? Let's do it, mate. Thursday night, keeping, uh, like, uh, speaking of keeping the uh, season alive the swans kind of doing that they're still in the hunt somewhat uh 78 to 76 a good win over the dogs yeah a little bit of a surprise i thought the dogs would win that I and mean, particularly when they opened up very strongly in the first quarter with bond and pelly and um Liber- liberatory uh i didn't say liberace i often nearly say that <laughs> um in the first quarter you know they, they they were sort of bombing away and i thought yeah they're going to run away with them but to Sydney's credit, they you know they fought back, and they've got a couple of classy players. And if Gooden is Gooden, Gilden is that how you pronounce it? Gilden, and if he's not in the yeah. best, if he's not in the best ten players in the state, I'll go he for Heidi. He he's fantastic. He not only gets the ball for him, but he just beautifully passes it off to his teammates. He and he gets hard balls. He, he just runs and runs and runs. He, yeah, I would love to have a, Yeah, I'd love to have a player like him, and then. You, and then you got Papley getting four goals. So, you know, and eventually, you know, it was um, all squared virtually at half time and it just stayed that way. And that could have gone either way. But in the end, Sydney were the ones that got there and uh, under a goal. And uh, there were a couple of results like that. So, yeah. lucky, good luck to Sydney and uh, bad luck with the Bulldogs. Well, you know, keeping in line with that, uh, Brisbane Lions absolutely choking that game against Melbourne at the G. Uh, the Lions going down by a point in the end, 105 to 104, and Melbourne keeping their top four chances uh, going. Uh, a loss there would have really put the cat amongst the pigeons for the Ds, so uh, a good win for them, but, God, the Lions just work out how to lose probably as well as we do away from home. Yep, 24 points up, seven, only seven a bit minutes to go, and they've yep. lost from there. You know, that's incredible. And they shut it down. They tried to shut it down so far out. Yep, 
One thing was I think was significant about the win for Melbourne, no Grundy, they dropped Grundy. And I've been, I've actually said on this show, going back a few weeks back, Grundy has ruined Melbourne's setup by getting... Uh, Gorn used to be the dominant ruckman for... He used to spend probably about 90% of the time on the ball, and then, he, then he'd go up forward and kick a couple of goals, and one of the forwards would come up there and have a little turn. Grundy's not a forwards arsehole. I mean, he just, uh, he just certainly messed up their whole structure. And, well, and you have, that's and now, not true. That's not exactly true. That's the way I see it, mate. And um, well, Grundy played all his juniors at full forward. Uh, well, he, he's a, nah, he's a poor man's forward, mate. Um, he's a good ruckman, but a poor man's forward. And no, Gordon had 20, 29 no, disposals, think... 38 hit-outs, 10 clearances. I mean, um, I, I heard a couple of other so-called experts talking about it, and they, and they were saying they would think that Melbourne should be trading Grundy off and getting back to their... Oh, I, don't, I, don't disagree, I don't disagree with that. I think um, they've tried to replace Jackson with Grundy. Uh, different kind of player in my opinion um, but um, I, and I wouldn't mind betting that uh, they offload that and it would be interesting because the third club that Grundy goes to won't probably pay any of his salary <laughs> well, <laughs> because no, no, Collingwood and Melbourne paying some of it um, no we should have a crack at it because I mean uh, uh, he's on about somewhere 900 or a million and uh, around about 300 being played by Collingwood Melbourne pay yeah. a couple hundred and you get a guy for 500 so, yeah, you know. yeah. Tones in the chat says it's true, Macca, ignore Phoenix. Well, Tones, mate, I actually watched Grundy's uh, under-18s year because my son was in that year and my son actually played on Grundy at full-back. So, uh, yeah, I think we might just ignore you, mate. Um, anyway, um, so he, he can play forward, uh, Macca, but I think what, what Melbourne have done is um, they've sent Grundy back and, and got him to work on his... Um, uh, got him to... My son's 193 back, sir, so he was well outpointed. <laughs> he was playing for West and he was a poor man's full-back. Should have been off a yeah. half-back flank. Anyway, um, I think um, they've tried... Gate, uh, they've tried going up forward and Grundy in the, in the ruck. They've now reverted back to Grundy in the ruck, I think, they and they've told Grundy to go back to the twos and work on his forward craft because it has been a while. Um, and I think if that doesn't work out, they'll get rid of him. Yep. Anyway, uh, next up, who have we got? We've got uh, Collingwood pretty much doing a number on Fremantle. Also at the G, Collingwood, uh, easy 46-point winners. Frio almost done, I think, Mac. Yeah, they are. But it was interesting. The, the Pies outscored them by eight goals in the second quarter, and that was actually the winning margin. So, like, for three quarters, I've actually matched them, apart from one quarter where they've just let them run all over them. But uh, partly in Frio's defence, they ended up with uh, two injuries um, in Darcy, which is their main ruckman and, and a very good ruckman, and, and Walker. And they also had a couple of other guys that were had to stay in the field with injuries. So uh, they weren't good enough, but they probably would have been better without injuries. They would have got a lot closer. But, yep. you know, Collingwood, Collingwood, they're the measuring stick. Yeah, oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. And last um, comment, three more brown yep. low votes for Dacos. Oh, it's his to lose now, isn't it, mate? Yep. 
Um, we had the Suns getting the dead cat bounce after Jews sacking 77-51 over the Saints, who are fast-looking vulnerable um, and got a tricky few games, the Saints, uh, ahead of them. So uh, I can certainly see um, a team outside the eight uh, bumping them out at the moment, maybe GWS with their form. Uh, but the Suns looked all right, 26-point winners of the Gold Coast. You told my dead cat <laughs> I was going to come out with. <laughs> Sorry, mate. No, well, well done, mate. Um, no, the Gold Coast players, they, they, played, um, they played with intensity, a, a, a much, much greater intensity than they did when they played for G. Um And, I mean, that, that's a criticism, really. I mean, you've got bloody Atkins, for example. I mean, Atkins had, uh, what, he had 32 disposals and kicked two goals. When did he last do that? About yeah. when, when, when Moses was playing. So, yeah. But anyhow, look, they, they did, they dominated the midfield, they dominated the game, and they, and they won it. So, uh, and a caretaker coach gets up again and first up. It so, um, happens so regularly, doesn't it? It's amazing. Got a good percentage. Mm. Anyway, um, and then the first upset, really, of the round, uh, Carlton uh, getting up over Port Adelaide by 50 points, if you don't mind, at Marvel. Um, and uh, they're just on a little bit of a on a march as well, unexpectedly, in 122 to 72. Probably the the lost port had to have. Well, interesting you say uh, surprise, because once I saw port side, I actually changed my tip and went for Carlton because that was a pretty poor side they sent out there, Fiend. Um, it was they had a lot of really good players out, and uh, and to make that many changes, well, maybe that maybe they quite were quite happy to have a loss at this stage, so you're not, not under that pressure of always having to win. I, I don't know, but uh, they certainly played like that. Um, yeah. They they had they had very few good players, and their, their forward line for Carlton that was scintillating: Kerno, uh, Silvani, and Mop Mop. They got 13 goals, I think it was 11 goals between them. Mm. Um, and interestingly enough, the Blues won every quarter. Port never made any comeback at any one stage. So it was a very poor effort. But again, as I said, it was a very poor Port side that went out there. Yeah. As as Jad says in the chat, they came out looking like it was a friendly. So uh, yeah. as I said, maybe it was a loss they had to have and they kind of recognised that they needed just to, uh, to you know, freshen a few blokes up maybe. I don't know. They're fine. Um, the Cats doing an absolute number on Essendon, 122-45 to 45 down there at the Graveyard GMHBA Stadium, 77-point winners. Yeah, they slaughtered them, 78 points. And they, they, they're gathering momentum at the right half, uh, right half of the season. Uh, most of the damage, uh, damage was done in the first half. and uh, I mean, they kicked seven goals, I think it was, before there was any score from Essendon, so... But they, they uh, Merritt and Parrish, who dominated against us, they were brought back to the field. Um, yeah, so it, it's uh, it, it just shows probably where we sit because, I mean, Geelong made a real oh, number on them. No, 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 I don't think it shows where we sit. You can't compare. Like, the, the Geelong games are always an outlier, mate, down there. That is true. That is true. I don't think it's had- a, a true indication. No, they had 64 inside 50s to 28, so it was, it was yeah. a real domination. Yeah, it's a shocker. It's an absolute shocker. Um, and then today, ignoring our disaster just for a moment, today we had uh, Hawthorne getting up in a fairly dreary match. I didn't watch a lot of it. 48-point winners over North after a slow start, I think it was. 
I actually stopped watching it too after a while. I mean, it was getting boring. Uh, and, you know, um, they won by six goals, 12. I mean, if they'd kicked straight, it would have been a very, very large margin. So, um, but Warpool and Amon were outstanding for them. Uh, Sissy, uh, he was back, but he didn't have much effect on the game. He didn't need to because the ball was there the other end most of the time. So, yep. Yeah. Um, just too good. Yep, and the last game of the round, which just finished a little while back, we had uh, West Coast gallant in defeat, I guess you'd say. 38-point losers to Richmond, 98-60. to 60. Um, Eagles just short on cattle, really, and uh, Richmond doing what they needed to do. I think you summed it up, mate. I mean, they, they're definitely the worst team in the competition. They've had a lot of injuries, and um, the last two games, North Melbourne proved they're the second-worst team, and... Uh, West Coast proved they're the worst team and I think that's about sums it up Yeah so not a lot of surprises really uh, they're like obviously our game and probably the Port game although as you point out the Port game maybe not so much uh, but when we look at the ladder uh, we've got Collingwood uh, at in front now and probably minor premiership favourites on 60 points Port on 56 world clear of Brisbane in third on 48 Melbourne on 44 points, putting themselves a little bit ahead of the rest of the pack. Geelong, the sleeping giants, Macca. They are. Up to, they are. Up to fifth, 38 points. Uh, there'll be a few teams thankful that Melbourne uh, it, that Melbourne hang on to fourth spot because I don't think you want to give Geelong the double chance, to be honest with you. Um, they're coming good. Yeah, they're coming, they really are coming good at the right time, thanks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, St Kilda slipping on 36 along with Bulldogs, Essendon. In fact, all four of the teams that were uh, sitting in those positions uh, had rough weekends. Essendon just hanging in on 36. Giants on a bit of a march on 36. Uh, and then we've got Carlton and Richmond above us on 34 points, Macca. That just shows how costly those last two losses have been. We're now level on 32 with Gold Coast, albeit with much better percentage. And then the Swannies just a half a game behind us on 30. Frio 28, Hawthorne 20, North and West Coast rounding it out. It might well be, Fane, that losing today will cost us any chance of getting in the eight. Not that I think that matters greatly because of the fact that um, if you compare us to the other teams in the eight and definitely against the top one, we were going to get resold out anyhow. So... uh, Maybe it's better we don't make the eight because, you know, if you make it, you've got to deserve it. At the moment, we don't deserve it. Well, you know, I've been saying for a couple of weeks, Mac, and I know you agree with me that, um, you know, uh, the finals were really a secondary thing this year and unfortunately it's been a bit of a distraction in my opinion. It certainly distracted the coaching panel in my uh, opinion and uh, led to some odd selections and some very odd um, game day strategies, particularly in terms of how we run our midfield, but also in terms of our game plan, uh, which was very evident to me being at the game on Saturday night. So uh, uh, as mentioned, uh, the Giants getting up after being 17 points down at three-quarter time to win by 14, 10, 11, 71. 8957 the second time this year the Giants have come back at us and we can't blame the bloody heat this time because it was freezing at Adelaide Oval. What do you reckon, Mac? Uh, very disappointing effort with the boys. And, you know, in the last quarter, I mean, we had 13 entries inside 50 for one point and they had 17 for five goal two. Mm-hmm. And there's that 
you know, and it sort of tells a story in the sense that uh, we are supposed to have this really A-grade quality forward line, so the ball must have been coming in a very terrible manner for the boys that not be able to score. And I think that they, somebody says in the chat, they were crap entries, and they were. There were too many, uh, uh, there was a couple of Smith bombs coming in there to, just, you know, just around the 50 metre mark, where they go flying back down the other way again, and that sort of stuff. Um, no, look, I thought they were, there were a couple of Rankin hit the post, and uh, Keyes uh, couldn't kick over a jam jar and kicks it out of bounds. And, um, yeah, there was, I thought we were, very, we, I thought we were quite pathetic in the last quarter, to be, to be honest. Um, well, Mac, yeah, I agree with you. Obviously, it was a, it was a, I, to be honest with you, I, I was at the footy with my mate and his lad, and um, to me at heart, it, it was always a false lead in my opinion. I felt like GWS were just a, a, a bee's appendage away from breaking the game open all game. Uh, we were hell-bent on keeping the game close in. We didn't want to get them on the outside because we knew they were they were going to flog us on the outside if they did. And mm. when the game broke open a little bit in the last, uh, that was exactly the case. Um, we played plotters in the midfield. We refused to take the game on at any stage. And uh, it showed. It showed. In the end, we played pitiful, defensive, piss-weak football. And I don't know whether that was player-driven or coach-driven, but that's where, that's where we've got to. Well, I can't argue with any of that. I think that's about how I saw it too. Um, we... we... We, yeah, we were flattered by the score somewhat because um, we did have some very, very good goals that came out of nowhere, but in the sense that we also had a lot of very poor efforts going in there as well. And um, I was, you know, when, it, when, we were, when we led a quarter time, that was only on the basis of a quick uh, few minutes to get that. Um, and same with the second, third quarter. I started to get worried in the third quarter. I just thought could see little signs starting to show. And I mean, some of the match-ups, I mean, putting Michelani on onto green, I mean, they must have been drinking when they decided to do that. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Well, you're setting you the know, kid you up to fail, aren't you? Yeah, well, you, that's, it isn't fair to the kid. You just don't do that. I mean, green, Green's a champion. He is a champion. He's one of the, the greats of the game. And you're going to put a kid who's played only a, what, 15 games or something like that? Uh, no, it, it doesn't make sense. Well, you know, they they did a couple of funny things. Like, they put Chase Jones on Kelly for a while. And not only is Chase not really a tagger, but it actually nullified his output as well, Chase. He wasn't able to get into the game, and they eventually got the hang of it and put keys on him. Not that it did a hell of a lot of much better. But I thought using Chase as a stopper was a, was a silly move as well. That was the second one I was going to raise, because... Um, Jonesy's been in, in good form, really good form. Yeah. And and they, they, they negated his good form, um, and and he's not he isn't a stopper by nature anyhow. He's, he's a, a no, more of a dash. Seaball, seaball, get ball kind of guy. Yeah, and you know, and I must say, you can see the guy actually believe he is an A grade footballer now. I mean, when he had that shot for a goal, there was never any doubt that he was going to kick the damn thing. He's yep. been very good when he has shots for goal, even under pressure. Uh, but coming back to that particular move, that was a stupid move. Keys was the obvious one right from the word go. Um, I mean, Kelly was stopped um, 
by a certain type of player last week, and a player that's prepared to sacrifice every part of the game just to stop him, and that's what happened. And um, my key, while Keys is very, very determined player, I don't think he's that close to checker, but uh, he would certainly would have been a, a better option than to start off with Jones. Another poor effort by the by the team. Well, and finally, you need to understand what our midfield mix was, which was basically Laird, Dawson, Sloan and Keyes all night. And I think the only person that got a, a centre bounce attendance the whole match was Luke Pedler got one. That's correct. Uh, now, I might upset a few people like this, but um, and I know Rory Sloan's been one of our heroes for a long, long time. Now, he's got his 250 games up. For God's sake, take him out of the middle... Take him, out, take him out of the middle. If, you want to, if you're going to play him till the end of the season, stick him on a wing. And, um, but for God's sake, let's put a different mix through the middle. You can't have all plotters in the middle. And that, it's not Rory's fault. He's 33 years of age. He's, got, uh, he's had a knee, a knee done and you know, he's not as fast as he used to be. Um, we just need quicker legs in there. Uh, and if they're going to play Rory till the end of the season, put him on the wing. And for no, I just can't accept they give him a contract for next year. They should not. No, they shouldn't. Um, Sloan actually had a season high CBAs uh, on Sunday on Saturday night. That was his highest average, highest proportion of centre bounce attendances for the year. And I just don't see how it's justified. I like nothing in his form, nothing in the makeup of the side, um, actually justified him being in the middle as often as he was. And I just I get really concerned, Macca, when you, we start getting hints again of the club putting individuals and milestones and marketing opportunities ahead of winning a bloody important game of football? Well, they have in this particular case, there's no doubt about it. and um, It's just so wrong. It is just so wrong. I mean, he takes the league over. They, they did this to Jackson last year. They played Jackson out of form. He was in form in the middle, took him out and uh, put him on a wing where he was no good and eventually got him to the stage where he got dropped. Saligo, he was at one stage, going back a few weeks ago, he was really fiery, but Sloan's taken that spot in the middle and he never got there and his form has suffered and now he's down in the twos. It's, look, this year was supposed to be a, a building team to get, uh, be a launching pad for next year so that we can genuinely be a, a finals contender next year. But some of those young boys, they've, had, they've, been, uh, they've been retarded in their progress by some of the uh, club's actions and who they select. Oh, no doubt about it, Mac. No doubt about it. I've got to just indulge me a little second because I've got a little slide here that I've put together, which is essentially um, everyone's uh, centre bounce attendances for the year, right? So um, it's the proportion of total centre bounces. So I've got Rory Sloan up here, and as you can see up around here, um, in round 18, the proportion of... He attended about 68% of centre bounces, which is his highest proportion for the year, Macca. Mm. Um, and I just want to point a couple of things out. Um, 
you can see at the beginning of the year here we had Joshua Shelley um, attending until about round seven when his attendance has dropped down to about 20. Okay, and uh, he hasn't really, apart from one game in round 16, he hasn't really had much of a say in the midfield in the meantime. Isaac Rankin, you know, first three round or first two rounds, he was uh, had some attendances, not much, not more than about 15% of them. Uh, round nine, he had a couple, but apart from that, not one. Centre bounce attendance, Mac. Mm, I know. Jake Saligo. You know, up until about round nine. Okay. So that's who we got. We got Rochelle and Saligo in particular and Rankin for a little bit. Round nine seems to be that key point. Right? And that was after three or four three or four wins in a row. And that's when finals started to become an issue. Right? Yep. And the bloke that has uh, benefited from that is Ben Keys. In the first half a dozen rounds, not a lot. He had one game where he was in there for 45%, but apart from that very low, he was playing forward. And then after round nine, have a look at his attendances. Um, obviously, Geordie Dawson came in after round three, uh, mm-hmm. after round two. Um, Harry Schomburg. Um, figured in our first couple of games, first three or four weeks. Obviously, donut since. Um, uh, there was another one here. Uh, Lady obviously has been a const- constant. Sam Berry's another one that got ditched after round three. Hasn't been seen since. Um, so you can see that there was a clear point in in uh, in the season where the midfield philosophy changed completely, completely. And it coincided with our realisation that we might have uh, we might have a shot at making the finals. And I think that's been the single most important issue that has faced our club, and we've handled it terribly poorly. We've forgotten, and I've said this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and those numbers back me up. We have lost sight of development, in the in the hunt for a finals appearance. Yeah, look, I totally agree with you. Um, it, it is interesting because playing the play, young players that we were and uh, playing through the middle, that got us into that position where they, all of a sudden they had that thought. Exactly but, you know, right, Macca. But common sense would say if, if they're doing that to get us there, well, we should keep on doing it. 100%. 100%. That's exactly the point. It was the kids that got us into a, into a position where finals were, were a chance. And instead of trusting them, Macca, this is the big issue, and this is what's going to bring Matthew Nix undone, in my opinion. Instead yeah. of trusting the kids to continue on and rotating them intelligently so that they remain fresh, we've got enough of them. We've got two or three in the twos that can roll through. We've got enough of them to roll through there and we can still support them with the senior players. But when you when you show those up-and-coming kids that they are not trusted, then the coach will lose them very quickly, in my opinion. And one person who I thought played very frustrated on on Saturday night was Josh Rochelle. He was trying to get himself into the game. He was trying to impose himself on the game because he's been camped on that half-forward bloody flank for the last two months and I reckon he'd be jack of it. 
I think you summed it up well there, Pete. Um, you know, if you're a, a, a player that really wants to be in the action all the time, um, it's a horrible, horrible position to be stuck at. And um, yeah, he obviously has had a gutful of it, and uh, uh, didn't take much for him to lose his cool. And uh, look, he shouldn't have done what he what he what he did because these days you can't get away with anything. Well, I've played no, I'm not I've... excusing what he did, but uh, uh, what I'm saying is symptomatic. Uh, and you look at, uh, like, Sam Berry has averaged something like 27 or 28 possessions in the twos for the last month. Harry Schoenberg's been playing. Play, Harry had, like, nine or ten touches last week in a quarter and gets dropped. Yeah, that was, that was amazing, that. Like, was amazing. Uh, you know, um, I, I don't know what they're doing with those two lads harry had a really good game on the weekend with bez being out with what's what i think is COVID. um he's certainly like sick um but um i, I just don't understand why we are relying on like there, there's no possible way that matthew nixon his coaching staff can look at our midfield on paper on a thursday night and then look at the opposition and and let's not forget that gws had players out you know, they had Tom Green out and uh, um, Lockie Ash, I think. Uh, was it Lockie Ash? Someone else. Uh, out. Uh, no, who's the other one? They had a couple of keys out. Anyway, um, you know, but Green's been fantastic for them. And But you couldn't look at our midfield on paper against someone like a GWS's midfield and go, yeah, we, we, we're going to stack up all right with this. Yeah, I've actually written that down here. <laughs> so you're ahead of me, but that's one of the points I was going to raise. That uh, on paper, you look at their midfield against ours, and you think, "Shit, we're in trouble." Yeah, uh, and I think Macca, what the knock-on effect of that is that, and it, it was as plain as the nose on your face to me on on Saturday night. I was sitting with Riverbank, so I was looking down the ground. We at no stage had any desire to take the game on. We wanted it to be a scrap. We wanted to keep the ball in. We didn't want to change angles. We didn't change lanes. We didn't go for go for any passes. We were content to kick to contests and we were content to keep the ball and keep the game a contested ball game. And, uh, you know, it, it kept us in the game for three quarters, but as soon as GWS broke the shackles, that was the end of it. Yeah, well, it was you know it was a, the difference was uh, we had thirteen entries in that quarter. They had seventeen, but if you look at the our thirteen, they weren't clean and to a player. No. They were just they were just to a pack. Whereas yeah. when they when they broke and when they went into their in their forward lines, they they were they were running and making space, and they were they also were on spread. So you can't you know we were we were all clumping, and they were they were spread. So they had opportunities to give it to players and. Um, was yeah, I think very evident. Just, yeah, did it so wrong? It was very evident, Matt. You could see GWS had a had a really good um, uh, manner off half back of going diagonally across the ground. Um, so they pushed the ball forward, but diagonally, so they weren't losing yep. territory, and yep. they would put it to grass. They would put it to to the blokes' advantage. It, just about every disposal when they were transitioning was actually putting the next player where they wanted them to go. So whereas we tend to kick to spots, they were putting it out to advantage of basically saying to the bloke, that's where you need to be and make, allowing him to run on, right? Uh, which is what you're supposed to do, you know? 
Um, yeah. Whereas we, as I said, we were kicking it on people's heads. We weren't, the amount of times there was um, opportunities to move the ball laterally or diagonally, the plenty of space, and it was as plain as the nose on your face. And the players weren't interested in in moving to those spots. And quite frankly, the blokes with the ball weren't even looking there, which makes me think that it was actually a tactic employed um, rather than just the players not looking because there was no appetite to move the ball aggressively at all because I think we were worried that we'd get it opened up. And that all stems from the coaches looking at the team sheet on a Thursday night and thinking, shit, we better not make this a fast game because we'll get torched. Well, they were right. Once it opened up, we were. But um, the, but the thing is that we, we should have used the ball so much better ourselves. Though that was the, the real problem. Yep. And, you know, it wasn't helped by the fact that after quarter time, we couldn't hold anything up forward either. Darcy Fogarty had an absolute shocker with regards to ball handling. Our ball handling in general, uh, both aerially and on the deck, was pretty average. We fumbled a lot. We couldn't take a contested mark. We couldn't take an uncontested mark half the time. Um, but Big Darcy had a shocker. Yeah, he did. I think he had something like um, six possessions in the first quarter and eight for the game, something like that. Yeah, he just couldn't take the ball. He couldn't take the ball. Yeah, and, and Walker never touched the ball the second half. No, well, I mean, they've got a good defence. They've got a couple of good pillars in defence, GWS. Um, and, uh, you know, they it was go- what we needed was contests to be made um, up forward and for our ball getters at ground level, Isaac Rankin, etc., to get to work. Um, Luke Pedler was played far too much up the ground. Uh, so he was irrelevant, irrelevant up forward. He got a lot of his touches outside 50. Um, he did. Isaac Rankin was obviously their main focus, and he was uh, heavily looked after. And, and that lad, I always forget his name, that GWS lad that played on Rankin, he's an exceptionally good defender. Um, taller than Rankin and just as quick. So he played really well. Um, but... We didn't really have much of a much of a formation in terms of ground ball players. Lockie Murphy was irrelevant. Um, you know, we really didn't have many players at the feet. Um, Rochelle tried, but um, you know, got flustered and tried to do too much at times. And um, just, I think that the seasons actually got the better of him. To be honest with you. Um, so, you know, it, we didn't have a lot at the feet, but I'll tell you what, our, our uh, marking players, particularly after quarter time and particularly Darcy Fogarty, um, made a meal of a lot of opportunities. Well, there, were no, there was no marking thing. That was, that was the problem um, because uh, yeah. Walker didn't take any and uh, Fogarty never took any in the second half. Um, and Thilthorpe, I think, took one. So, you know, yeah. there, was, there wasn't much doing. And um, at ground level, we weren't doing so well there either. You, and um, I, I was disappointed a little bit with Rankin's game, um, but he was very well-minded, I must admit. Uh, Peddler, as you said, I thought Peddler was up, up too high most of the time. Um, yeah, it, it just, well... So let me I, ask we you this, at... let me ask you this, Macca. If Rankin's getting sat on, and it's quite obvious that he's getting sat on, mm. we surely yep. didn't pay pick five forward forward pocket surely we didn't did we 
Please tell me that we didn't. Well, we were told that he would uh, not only be in the forward pocket, but he would also have runs on the ball. So why wouldn't you just chuck him through the middle when he's getting sat on, break the game open a bit? Well, because you and I can think and they can't. But, I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? I, I was shocked that Rankin didn't get a run through the middle. No, it's absolutely ridiculous when you think of the fact that, you know, you've got a player of his quality, he's elusive, etc. Um, and, OK, he's being held... Uh, the ball's not coming in particularly well and he's being held tightly. The first thing you've got to do is give him an opportunity to run around and get a kick or two on, on the ball. Yeah, and as P- PJ uh, points out in the chat, Rashido says Rankin doesn't play midfield. Well... He did say that. So... so Mark Rashido is uh, who's head of our list management committee is confirming then that we paid pick five for a f- small forward. Yeah, well that's bullshit. Anyhow, uh, at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the trade season, remember I said I don't reckon Rankin's worth any more than pick twelve. And, well, that was my uh, moment too. If we were going pick five, we needed to get something back. We ended up paying. As well as we did in the Jordan Dawson trade, we got absolutely bent over in the Rankin trade. And if we paid pick five for a bloke that we don't intend to play up forward, uh, don't intend to play in the midfield, then someone needs to be taken out of the out of the back and flogged. Well, it had to be pick twelve, yeah, you know, not pick five because you know, you, look, Charlie Cameron, he was a very good forward pocket. He was a pick twelve. And yep. uh, and Rankin at that stage of his performances at uh, the Gold Coast probably weren't as good as Charlie's were with us. Yep. So, you know, just taking a line on that, we were never, ever, we should never, ever have been given pick five. No, so no basically, a... if, if we couldn't do any more than pick five, then we should have said, sorry, Isaac, we can't do the deal. Mm. Simple I agree with you. Or a future first, or something like that, because it, yeah. on the on the on the uh, basis that we will be higher next year. So yeah, um, but that pick five was wrong. Yeah, so you know, I mean, that all that being said, Isaac has done well in the little cameos that he's had uh, in the in the midfield. Um, he adds a little bit of um, run and flair and agility, and. You know, he doesn't have to have a midfielder's engine. He can he can play, you know, three or four minutes at a time. And certainly when someone's getting sat on in the forward line, you, and Rashido's words, I think, in the replay were, you know, we just got to keep him up forward and hope that he works it out. That's bloody ridiculous. And it shows why Mark Rashido's a hotelier and not a coach. Because you don't do that. You try and f- free the bloke up. You know, take him up the ground, put him on a wing, play him on a half-back flank, run him through the middle for a minute, get him away from that tag, get some value out of one of your so-called star players. Yep, no argument for me. I heard an interesting... Um, I don't know where I heard it, but they, it was somebody was going through Adelaide's draft pick uh, for about the last 10, 12 years, and they, they made the point, or certainly the last six or eight years anyhow, and made the point of what does Adelaide need the most at the moment? They need quality mids. That's what they need. And they went through what who our draft picks have been, particularly in the pointy, the pointy end of the first. Oh, PJ said it was Rowie. Uh, yeah, and uh, first and second rounders uh, for the last 
few years. And they're all bloody backmen. You know, all backmen. No, and um, Phil Thorpe being an exception. Not like there's no midfielders in there. Sorry, Macca, my headset's just gone over, so I'm going to swap them over. And hopefully that works. Yeah, I'm just saying that it was, yeah, on, on the Rowie show, saying that uh, he went through all our draft picks and just saying, you know. Keep we talking, been, mate, while I'm uh, sorting that out. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he made a point about the one, a couple that they had picked the midfield didn't make it. And uh, the, the rest of them, they, they were backmen or whatever. You know, and the one thing they've avoided is gun midfielders. Pathetic. And that's the one thing we really do need, um, good midfielders. I mean, Port Adelaide recognise that, and they've got, I think Port Adelaide's this management is much better now, so I think they, they've, uh, done, they've put together a very, very good midfield, and that's where the engine is, and uh, here we are, PJ's well, got it up. Miller, Duda, Gallucci, Fogarty, Jones, McHenry, McKay, McKessie, Peddler, Phil Thorpe, Rochelle, Rankin. Yeah. So we're there's no, there's no midfielder there, mate. No. Well, I mean, Gallucci was uh, a midfielder. Miller was um, picked as a midfielder. It wasn't a midfielder's arsehole. Um, you know, Jones was, McHenry was, Peddler was, um, you know, supposedly but there's there's probably if you want to talk out and out midfielders there's probably only Gallucci and Jones that you would say would be the two uh that were actual mids yeah and and they're not of the caliber of what we're really talking about anyhow no that's right so you know uh, look um sorry about that little hiccup my other headphone just ran out of batteries um I don't. I don't have a problem if the um, if the club are actually consistent. But the thing that bothers me the most is that we've reverted to this uh, back to the back to the seniors. Um, you know, it just shows really lack of intent, Macker, in my opinion. And uh, I'm. Uh, Pretty much convinced that Matthew Nix, as I mentioned, as I mentioned a few times over the course of the podcast this season, you know, he's still his win loss is still sitting at about thirty four, thirty five percent. He'd have to be a miracle worker to get us uh, into contention, let alone uh, a premiership. Um, I think he's done very well for his immediate mandate, which was to unite the players after a lot of turmoil. But I think. We need a different coach to take us to the next step. I think we need someone who's a little bit harder because at the moment it sounds to me like mate, a mate coaching mates. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, yeah, look, PJ says in the chat, Nick's will coach next year but not longer. And I, and I think that's probably true because he is contracted for next year. And uh, so I reckon he'll, he'll serve that year out. And in the meantime, we'll be looking around to, to tie up somebody of quality because you are right. I don't think Nix has got it, got, and uh, I'd love to be proven wrong, but I don't think he's got it in him to take us to the level that we that we would like it to be. Well, I just don't. I think it's very difficult. And you know, there's there's been some telling comments in the press conferences. You know, the one that I put up last week that got the bloody video blocked. Thanks YouTube. 
Um, you know, his press conference uh, after last night was pretty average. Uh, you know, talk about Rory Sloan being upbeat in the change rooms as if we'd actually won. I mean, we just yeah, lost our get, season. We just lost our I season. Give, I couldn't give a flying effort how Rory was in the change room. I mean, that was I was that made me very angry actually when I heard yep. that. Yep, I thought you were punching him on the nose. I mean, he, he why is he upbeat? We just lost the bloody game. Exactly, exactly, Maka. I thought I thought uh, that was absolutely so stupid. Absolutely stupid. Extremely self-absorbed. In fact, I've never seen so much made of a 250th game at the ground. There was merchandise. There was there was a massive flag over the window above the um, the southern gates. Now you can't tell me that that took five minutes to bloody put together. Like there was a massive hoo-ha for a bloke's 250th game. Now I know that Rory Sloan is a club stalwart and. I've loved a lot of what he's done uh, for the club over the course of his career. And I know he's not going to get to 300 because his his body just isn't going to let him get there. So it's his last milestone for the club. They wanted to honour it. I get it. But why would you go to all the trouble of picking uh, a a midfield on the basis of trying to make finals and then prioritise a bloke's milestone over probably the most important game of the season in the context of that goal. Stupid. Absolutely stupid. And the other thing, uh, you know, um, Rory Sloan has been absolutely fantastic for the football club. There's no doubt about that. He, uh, until he got his injury, um, he would been the heart and soul of the club. And he's a, he's a fantastic human being on top of that. But that doesn't, that doesn't win you premierships in the sense that he got injured. He's 33 years of age. He's come back and he can't play at the level that he could before. And that's not his fault. It's just how it is. Now, we've celebrated his 250th game. And as far as I'm concerned, they, they may play him to the end of the season, but that should be it. Pull up stumps, no extra year. Walker's different. Walker's having one of uh, the best years of his career. So... Um, but Rory has been injured and he's on the other end of it and he's declining, so no. And this is what I mean about uh, Nix's ability to take us from, uh, you know, from, from the, to, to go from the mandate of just gelling the players and getting the group back cohesive to actually being able to make ruthless selection decisions on blokes that he's formed relationships with. And I don't think he's got it in him and that's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take, and I don't think he's it's got it in he's got it in him to do that, Macca. Uh, I don't think he's ruthless. I don't think he's got a hard edge, and I think that he's fallen into the trap that a lot of play, a lot of coaches in Adelaide seem to fall uh, fall to. They they spend so much time trying to gel the group that they actually forget what their job is, and that's to put a side together that can win a bloody premiership. Now, you didn't see Absolutely. Malcolm Blight come in and bloody blow smoke up people's asses, And even well, during the course of our premiership years, he didn't blow smoke up people's asses. You know, look how he treated David Pittman, and David Pittman ended up being one of our most valuable players, and Malcolm Blight will, will say that. But Malcolm Blight didn't, didn't care about um, giving him a bake when he deserved it either. Now, we don't have a coach like that, and maybe uh, times have changed and, and players don't respond to that as much.
but we still need someone who can make hard, ruthless decisions at selection when it's required. Yep, and uh, you know, and you can't. Nobody can tell me that in com in a and in a common sense fashion that Rory uh, Sloan is uh, going to be good enough next year to uh, be our prime midfielder. He's just not going to be. He's just going to be another year older and another year slower. And look, he's been a legend of the club. He's got his 250 up. Just let him retire uh, in, in graciously and gratefully and, and, and uh, so that we can say thank you for your career, Rory. And rather than he goes another year, we think, F, he's out there making a bloody fool of himself. Yeah, we don't want that. Yeah, I tell you what. If if, if uh, I mean, I can kind of cop Sloane getting a, a a depth contract uh, for a year, but if he is still a um, a mainstay of our midfield rotation less, next year, people won't have a podcast to listen to because I won't be sitting here talking about this shit for another twelve months, Macca. But you know, if he does get a contract for another year, where you got to play him, mate? Well, I don't care whether you play him in the twos and use him as depth. But if he is part of our main midfield rotation, then people are going to have more time on a Sunday night because I am not going to sit through another 12 months of this shit. Well, look, look, common sense says he shouldn't get one. And if our list management people who have <laughs> effed up so much in the past, they've, they've been so, done so many thing, things wrong. Think properly, think sensibly, think logically about the future, think of how we are going to improve, how our young players are going to improve, and it tells you straight away, Sloan has been great for the club, he's given the, the best he's got to give to the club, he hasn't got it left to give to the club. Thank you, Rory, very much. You've been great for the club, you're a legend, and we'll find a, a job for you as an assistant coach or a, um, a development coach um, and keep you around the club because I think you're a good person to keep around the club but not in the side. Yep. Uh, Sloan and Keith's um, continual run through the middle have coincided and directly impacted with the development of Jake Saligo, Harry Schomburg and Sam Berry. And that's all there is to it. Now, Macca, don't forget we are interactive and we have Thom in the chat that wants to come up and have a chat. We've also got uh, Nuz from Sensible Crow Podcast here. So, uh, g'day, Nuz. Thanks for joining us. Thom, if you want to come on, Make sure your microphone's not on mute, mate. How are you going? Oh, come on. Get your audio done. It's Tom Lyon. Yeah. No, he hasn't got his audio going. Go back and sort that out, mate, and uh, stick your hand up again when you're ready. Uh, but if anyone else wants to have something to say, there's some very there's some very sharp people in the chat. Macca, we've got bloody... Nas, we got uh, and we got bloody J Mac who never says anything. J Mac, it's about time you come up here and said something, mate. Uh, you know, Tomo, we got uh, you know PJ Scoots Tones. We got lots of people in here, mate, that uh, probably make more sense than we do. So uh, uh, yeah, I don't know where Vardy is. He's, he's late to the party tonight, the Vardy party. Um, but yeah, feel free, come in, say good day, have a chat. Let's look at some of the um, at the stats, shall we? Because, you know, there's got to be something in here that's going to tell us what the hell went on, Macca. Uh, we lost disposers by four. Uh, kicks were fairly even. Handball's fairly even. Inside 50s, we only lost by six. Our disposal efficiency was fairly even. We weren't very efficient inside 50, but 
pardon me, neither were they. Um, free kicks. The umpires were pretty average, but I thought it was both ways. Um, Riley O'Brien had 52 of the worst hitouts you'd ever see and was completely ineffective uh, around the ground. Um, we'll talk about him in a minute, um, but he was very average. Uh, clearances, 40 to 43. We actually won centre 11 to 6, but as you mentioned, Mac, their, their centre clearances were far more effective. And not only that, they were at, from our bombs out of centre, uh, because we weren't very cohesive, they were, they were rebounding quite consistently. So our, our centre clearances were basically ineffective. Um, contested possessions were even, uncontested were even. Turnovers were pretty even. Even game. Marks even. Marks inside fifty seven to ten. Contested marks surprisingly fourteen to eight. Um, you know, if you look at the stats, wasn't a lot in it. But I tell you what, it just goes to show because at no stage was I convinced. In in fact, Sportsbet before the game had GWS at three dollars twenty six. And I thought that was the worst bloody odds ever. And I, I took some in a multi, unfortunately. The rest of it didn't pay out. But if I could have got on GWS at half time, I would have. Because at no stage did I feel like we were playing a convincing brand of football. So whilst the stats were very close, I think you know what they did with the ball when they were able to get it on the outside was far more effective than what we were able to do when we got it out. Yeah, when you think of the... You mentioned uh, Rob there before. That beautiful tap was it to Green. <laughs> Just put it straight down oh, his throat. And was... and, uh, the first one of the third quarter, yeah, or the last quarter. Yeah, yeah and I thought that that just really set the mo- uh, the momentum for the quarter. Yeah, and he completely wrong-footed um, led in that one, uh, and you know it's consistent with how what, how we've watched Rob Ruck. He puts it where he can put it, not where he needs to put it. it Look, don't get me wrong, a couple of nice knocks. I remember one across his back shoulder um, was pretty nice. But the, what we need to do with, with Riley O'Brien is have him marking the ball around the ground and imposing himself around the ground. And I felt he actually looked intimidated uh, around the ground by his opponent. He didn't look comfortable at all. Well, Briggs is a very physical ruckman. He, he, uh, I've been watching him. He, he, uh, he uses his body by he smashes into the other ruckman quite a bit because he's very, very heavy. And yeah. and, uh, and he gave Rob a few uh, collisions. And uh, I don't know how much he weighs, but he's big. He's big. And yeah, um, um, yeah I don't think Rob really enjoyed it really with him. But um, yeah, as I say, somebody said he's mummy. He's mummy twenty, two point naught. Sorry. Um, yeah, he is actually. He very much. Uh, he's a a mumford in the, in this day and age, but uh, and he can actually play football too. So, but yeah, I felt uh, he was alright. But Riley O'Brien well, is, you know, rates himself pretty highly, and he's got to get over that. Yeah, but watching Briggs, Briggs does get his taps to his players. Rob doesn't. I'm talking around the ground, mate. Oh, you mean take me mid? You're talking about taking uh, marks around the ground? Yep. Yep. Well, two or three is going to best you ever going to get out of Rob. Well, no, he has he has gains where he's effective around the ground, but when he gets physically intimidated, like he was, um, you know, against uh, Briggs, and he gets that way against Nankervis too, I think at times because uh, Nank's a bit of a 
big fella. Um, he just doesn't cope. He runs under the ball. He gets too vertical with his leap at the ball, and he becomes a, becomes a passenger. You know, compare it to a couple of weeks ago when he was linking up in in transition and all sorts of things. Um, you know, he wasn't he wasn't working hard enough, and he wasn't making enough contests. To be honest with you, Mac. No, there's no argument about that. So you know the team stats really, and I've got uh, we've got two we've got here. We've got a couple of people. I've got Tomo here. Let's get Tomo on. Hopefully your mic's all working fine, mate. How you going? Yeah, good. Thanks, boys. How are you guys? Oh, Hi, Tomo. Tell, tell us all about it, mate. Oh, I don't really have much, too much to say. Um, I say that actually, I do. Uh, I want to start off with a couple <laughs> of positives first. I thought. I thought Miller probably had his best game all season, I thought. He was okay, um, yep. I thought it was a lot better than how he's usually been playing. I thought Jones was also really good considering Miller did how little of the ball he got. Yeah, he, he recovered well. Once he Miller a squib one. He, he had a massive squib on less. the wing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the anyway. one. Anyway, go on, Tony. Um, anyway, I, I, for Miller, I feel like he's really getting used to his body again. I think that's the main thing. Um, anyway, to some of the negatives now, I think it was probably one of the most pathetic efforts I've seen from the Crows in a long time to not show up for a 250th game for Sloan like that and basically lay an egg is flat out pathetic. It is, mate. Um, particularly when they made such a big build-up of it. Yeah, I really thought we would come out, come out humming after the... Uh, what effort we showed against Essendon. Um, my well, I'll tell you, sorry, Tomo, I'll tell you, just before you get on to your main gripe, I'll tell you who else didn't show up. That's the crowd. A Saturday night game, yeah. we had 36,000, and the Western stand was half empty. But that's become our standard crowd thing. Yeah, but we don't often get a decent time slot. Saturday night time slot, Macca, 36,000. I know Illuminate's on, but really? It was freezing. It was five degrees. Put a jacket on. 35,000, as Vardy puts. Yeah. You know, um, Sloane's 250th. Uh, The club's got to be worried about that, in my opinion. Like I said, it was really flat around the ground. Like, not a lot of... It was. Not a lot of hype. Right, Tommy, what were you going to get into? Uh, my thing is actually with Nathan Van Berlo and how I really do not rate him as a midfield coach. Well, I don't think um, gonna, we're not going to fight you about that, mate. I can assure no. you. <laughs> but I think he's the one who has to be on the chopping block first. I'm really sick and tired of seeing poor midfield running patterns um, and just the mix entirely. It's it's awful. I'm not sure how much Nix has a say on the midfield. I mean, it would be nice to nice to know, but. Yeah, it's 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 awful, and I guess I guess finally, I think I'd really like I really want Nick's to take some accountability in press conferences um, and after match talking because it's it's been horrible where he seems to be deflecting a lot recently. That was and he, he, there was a bad deflection this week. Yeah, and I mean you're coming out with you know um, Lion comes out. Uh, for the recent game against Gold Coast, and he absolutely smashed his players in the press conference. And he, re- he really took some accountability for, for that club as well. And we, we need accountability now. You cannot be putting that type of effort out 
in a marquee game like this. Well, 100% agree with what you're saying, mate, because you're absolutely spot on. And then for the coach to actually say that uh, Rory was very happy in the club rooms, who give a flying about that? Yeah, boys, yeah. that's that's really all. Not too not too much to take away from that game. It's one of those ones, I think. What do you yeah. think we could have done better and where, uh, Tommy? Well, it's clearly the midfield. We need midfield mid, a midfield talent of some aspects. I don't know if I doubt we're going to get it through a trade. Um, I mean, I think I'm probably like most fans, where I don't really care. Never really cared about results this season. Um, and for the last six games, I really do not care about results. It's just about getting games into our young future midfielders and leaving yeah. Keys and Sloan to the wayside. Agreed. Um, You're on the money, mate. You're on the money. Adapt. I guess midfield adaptability is a big issue. I've been wanting to see Jones have a run through there for a while um, and just trying something different in those situations. Yeah, I think that would be a good point. So. That's all for me. So, oh, you did very well, mate. Good stuff. Great to have you on, and thanks Cheers, for your boys. support. I will done, mate. Uh, we we got Arab here, so Arab, always good to have you on, mate. Come on and uh, give us the uh, the benefit of your wisdom. <laughs> Hello, guys. How are you today? Good. Mate. All the better for hearing you, mate. Tell us all about it. <laughs> I just want to say. I said this, I think, like a while back, but I'll say it again. Isn't it interesting? Like, what what division has not changed? It's the CEO has changed, the co- all the coaches have changed, and it's just the recruiting department and the list management department has not changed. And on the money. On the money. They've come in. And since they've came in, even like before Matthew Nix, even before I think it was even um, the 2017 coach, I forgot his name for some reason, that has been the worst aspect of the Crows for the past, I don't know, decade, I feel like. We've been screwing up list management, one after the other one. Bryce Gibbs, um, Gallucci, you can just keep going on and on and on and on until this day. That department, I, it's not the coach. I don't care. Like, the Knicks has done an amazing job. He got a piece of crap and turned it into a club. Like, But the only thing that has not changed is that department, and I feel like that department has way too much control of where we go, and I feel like they have too much say on what the coaches do and who they play, and that needs to change. If it doesn't, we're screwed. It's interesting, Arab. Um, You know, a lot of the premiers over the last decade, I guess, have benefited from um, good list management, and it's either through luck or good management. So Geelong obviously had Stephen Wells, who's a bit of a guru when it comes to list yeah. management. You know, Western Bulldogs had a nice little run there where they got a couple of father-sons and some good high picks. Um, you know, you've had um, Sydney benefit off, a, off an academy. Um, you know, Collingwood have got, you know, two Dacosses and a Moore as father-son. So, you know, that, that obviously helps them. It is such a critical part of the success story and you know we are we're in a difficult position Adelaide because you know we're in South Australia so it's difficult to lure talent and if there's a couple of bad years of local talent you know it becomes a bit hard and all the rest of it but there's a club that does it better than us and that's bloody Port Adelaide certainly in terms of building a midfield and you know Port 
Port have probably prioritised their midfield um, for the sake of a weaker defence and forward line, although you know a couple of their forwards are coming good now. Their defence is still a bit iffy, but they have um, prioritised their midfield, whereas we've prioritised every other part of the ground except our midfield. It's such a critical part to get right. I don't think it's easy for interstate clubs uh, in foundation states like WA and South Australia to get it right, I think we're behind the eight ball. But as I've said in previous years, we have to do things differently. And if that means we have to throw a bucket of money over the market at a prime Victorian candidate, then we have to do it. We just have to do it. We have to pay our players differently in order to get the outcomes that we need. Well, well Brisbane did get McRae, I think it was Jack McRae this year, last year or something. And how do they, why can't we do that as well? It's possible. It's just that we have a really bad list management. It's just as simple as that. And if you don't change that, you can grab whoever coach you want to bring in. It's not going to do much because he's just going to get screwed over by that list management. That's yeah. what I feel like. It's, That's a very, very good point. If you haven't got the, if you haven't got the cattle, it doesn't, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. And we don't have it in the, in the midfield. We, we, ha- look. Lady, I give a tick to because Lady, he does he does rack up the numbers and he worked his ass off. And Dawson, who's who's had to fill in there in the midfield, uh, he he does his work as well. But what? But we need some of these really dashing midfielders who just natural midfielders. Uh, um, you know, and I'm looking like the Canilios and players like that that they can, they can just rack up the numbers because they're just so good. We have them. We have Peddler. We have Dowling. Dowling, I think, or we have um, Barry, we have Ish Schoenberg. It's just we're not, we haven't developed them right for some reason, or they're just not ready. I don't know what's going on, you know, or it's the game plan or the list management. Once again, it's just they're not getting played in the right spots, and you know, it's you... like uh, something's happened with YouTube there. I don't know what's going on there, why it's frozen. I think that's a problem with YouTube, guys, so just stick with it um, because everything seems to be right at my end. Um, hmm. We'll just let it run for a minute and see if it uh, see if it corrects itself because, like I said, everything looks to be uh, going okay at my end. I'm not uh, dropping any frames or anything. Um, I think... If you have a look at at the history of the two SA clubs, they've been most successful when they've had homegrown um, uh, midfields. Like in 97-98, we had largely a homegrown midfield, uh, apart from Kane Johnson. Uh, in the early 2000s, when we probably wasted an opportunity to, to win a flag, we had yeah. McLeod, yeah. Rashido and, and Goodwin and Edwards. Yeah. Um, Massive midfield. You know, they were both... And when Port won their flag, they had a homegrown midfield as well. Mm. Um, so I I wonder... This is, what I guess, what I'm talking about, where I'm saying that we're a bit behind the eight ball. And South Australia isn't producing as much talent anymore because our, our, our whole system has been um, diluted through, you know, the the... the 
the SANFL not being as important as it once was, the country leagues paying a lot more money to kids coming out of under-18s. So you've got the situation where a kid comes out of under-18s, he doesn't get drafted. Instead of going and playing Razzies or, or ones in an SANFL team, he'll go and earn 400 bucks a week playing for some bloody Barossa League um, club or some Murraylands League club, because why wouldn't he, right? So we lose a lot of talent out of the system in South Australia. And I just yeah. think we need to we need to change it up. We need to be able to structure our list and structure our cap so that we can afford to pay overs, over market, for strong Victorian talent. That's the only way we're going to do it. We cannot compete at market rates. You know, people have been talking about Bailey Smith recently, who I think would be a really good addition to our midfield. Now, he's stated that he wants to stay in Victoria, and why wouldn't he? He's a Victorian, Right. But if we want him to come and play for us, then we need to offer him way over market. And we should be structured in our in our salary cap to be able to do that. And when people say we overpay, well, that's because we had to overpay. You know, that's just the reality of being in this market. And I think it's, we've talked about it before, Macker, and I remember talking about it with um, Pete uh, last year and in previous years. Until we understand the reality of our situation, right, then we will not be able to attract enough interstate talent and hold on to enough interstate talent to be able to win a flag. We've just spent a lot of money paying for long contracts on speculative second-year players like Saligo and Rochellian and hoping that they're going to come good. But we've just tied up a lot of cap space doing that. Is it the right well, move? I'm not I'd... so sure. Yeah, but we should be getting rid of with the cap space. Sorry, uh, Aaron, but we, you know, no, you're good. Siegeman should be going, and um, uh, Sloan should be going, and there's somebody else who uh, there's, there's another one there that should be going as well. So, um, you know, I, I think we've got the salary. Siegeman should be going. Yeah, I think we, we can. We'll have the salary cap. We could probably bring in two two good players and. Um, yeah, so we we could we I believe we've got the capacity there to do it. Well, how does Geelong do it though? Because they're they're just a little town club, and they seem to attract all players, and they've got it right. So I don't think that you need to spend all the money. I think you just need to have the right build and the right culture and the right system for actual players to be like. You know what? I want to go play for them because like Geelong does it, and they have got like a little stadium. They've got you know they're a small town, so if I was like a a good player, wouldn't I want to play more for a bigger club, like let's say Collingwood, because that's where all the fans go. I get sixty thousand people come and watch me. If I become a superstar, whatever, I get more money. But most, but still, players choose to go to Geelong because of the culture, because of the thing they build. So I think if we build that, there's a, there's still a bigger chance of actually getting more players because you can offer all the money to the world, but if you don't have a good place for them to come to play to for you, I don't think they will want to as well. Yeah, but it's also the it's a post AFL career for some of them. Um, you know, it's it, there's a lot of factors. Um, there's a stigma about Adelaide, whether people like it or not, and it's misplaced. Um, but here, it it's there. Um, the the simple fact is that there's there's twelve clubs in Victoria, mate, and they've got twelve clubs to choose from. Uh, in Victoria if they want to move a club 
Um, so they're spelt for choice because there's always a Victorian player looking for that type of player. So a Victorian club looking for that type of player. So, you know, it's a difficult one, but, um, you know, I think it's the point that Macca made earlier about the amount of non-midfielders we've recruited and drafted over the last, you know, 10 years or so, it's got to change. It's got to change. You know, there's enough midfield talent in the competition, and I don't care whether they're contracted or uncontracted, free agents or not. We need to pick the player that we want or, or the, the list of players that we want, and we need to work down that list until we jag one. Simple as that. Yep. And definitely. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, you know, we're after Redmond at the moment, and um, uh, and it, uh, that's okay because at least he's a, he's a free agent, so you, you don't have to give, any, uh, give up a draft pick for him. There's no way Essendon won't match, Macca. Um, I don't even think he's going to come, but but if he does uh, accept an offer from the Crows, there's no way that Essendon won't match. The only way they won't match is if we pay like eight or nine hundred thousand over five years or something. Um, and that's exactly my point. Why would we pay eight or nine hundred thousand for a halfback flanker? Well, it's a waste of salary cap. Even if it's like four hundred grand a year, it's still always a salary cap. Let's be honest; it's not worth it. We've well, got so many of them. Yeah, but what it says to me is that they, if, that the very fact that they're chasing him means they think the due day will be going. Yeah, but who cares? It's War a flanker. What's our what's our fucking need, Maka? Our need no, is midfielders. I understand that, but you've got but you've got eighteen positions on the ground. You've got to have that one any one time, and you, you lose Duda, you lose your, inter, your interceptor, and and Ribbon would take his place. So, um, but that doesn't. God that sake. doesn't honestly. Let me, let honestly, Macca, for God's sake, let me finish. that doesn't decry for one moment the need to get a bloody midfielder. Well, then you don't There's, worry about bloody Tom leaving because he's bloody he hasn't been intercepting for six months and we've got Josh Worrell in there doing a fantastic job. We've also got young Nan Curvis knocking him, knocking down the door at halfback flank in the SANFL. Why would you spend close to a million dollars a year over five for an intercepting halfback flank when we've got five sitting on the list? Um, well, I think Ribbon's a very good player. I don't think the ones well, you're no talking one's about... Well, no one's disputing that, Macca. No one's disputing that. Well, look, I'm not disagreeing with you about that the midfielder is our priority. I'm not arguing about that. But I, I can't at the moment. I don't know of any midfielder that they're after and I don't know of any midfielder that they can get. Well, any midfielder in the comp they can get. I don't think so. Well, it just, it just depends on the deal, well, mate. Well, How do you think Brisbane got Lockie Neal as South So Sorry, um... Arab, how do you think Brisbane got Lockie Neal to go up to Brisbane? Lockie Neal, who's a country SA boy who went to Western Australia, how do you think that they got him to go to Brisbane? Money. If that's not a, if that's not a, a case study in how you can get it done, then I don't know what is. Yeah, well, look, I'm happy for us to go and get the best mid- midfield in the, in the state, but I can't see this mob doing it. Yeah, well, that's what we're saying. I mean, you, you do this all the time, Mackie. You kind of bow down and say, well, I don't think we're going to do it. We're not talking about what they're going to do. We're talking about what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. And what I'm saying is that 
throwing a bucket of money at Redmond, who's a very, very good player, but plays in a position that we are probably, out of, out of every spot in on the field, we have the most in that position, and some very good players, the money that would take to get him out of Essendon, because they will match if it's just a 600 by 5 deal, I can guarantee you. Um guarantee you and then if and even if we take him as a free agent then we've lost our compensation for due day anyway not that it would have been great but the simple fact is if we have to throw 800 or 900 at redmond to get him to come over here he is the wrong player to be making that deal with i'm sorry well i'm happy I'd be delighted if we could get ourselves a star midfielder. I'm not bowing down to anything, Fiend. I'm just saying the reality is um, we haven't been successful in doing it in the past, or I don't know whether we've made any attempts in the past, and I don't know whether we would be successful or make any attempts this year either. I mean, it's bloody obvious that we need one. But there's no doubt about that. Nobody's arguing about that. So I'm not bowing down to any bloody thing, Fiend. I'm just talking about reality in the sense of what the, what this club has done in the past. Yeah, but who cares what they've done in the past? You, your statement was we need to get Redmond in, and my and my. I, I didn't uh, say replied. that we need to get him. I said I said they will probably get Redmond. I said that's what I said. Well, do you I think? We do you think we should bring him in? If we can't get anybody better, yes. If we can't get any better, we may as well spend cap space on a, and and so much for Nankervis, who's been knocking the door down in the twos. I I think he's a very good player, Redmond, and would certainly strengthen our side. But we should be after a midfielder. I agree with you. I just, but I'm tired of saying the same old thing around in circles. You so am I, mate. Say, you say we should get we should get one. Nobody's going to argue about that. Do you? Do you think we're going to get one, Fiend? Well, how would I know? Because I'm not in the inner sanctum. I'm not about trying to predict what the... This podcast isn't about trying to predict what the club will do. This podcast is discussing what they should be doing, Macca. No one can predict what the club's going to do. That's not the point. Who cares? What we're, what we're saying is what they should be doing. I mean, we didn't predict that the club was going to have a massive clean-out a couple of years ago. We actually were part of the, the fan upswell that forced that that's what being proactive is all about not predicting what they're going to do okay well, I, was right. I feel like like we should be spending that money and add a bit more uh, because the chat said Zach Bailey is from South Australia who is uh, from Brisbane I would, I would rather spend 950k or whatever it is to get him home because he'll be worth it because whenever he goes in the midfield he changes it, and I feel like with Burgess and come, and if he comes in with Burgess and stuff, he could be that next um, Dawson that comes in for us, and that will change everything. So players like that that are kind of hidden, but that that could use Burgess as an impact, and we need him, and we need to stop paying him for him. He'd be a huge get if we can just do that. Yeah. Anyway. Um... Thanks, mate. Always good to have you on. Thank you. It was a good chatting with you guys. See ya. And, mate, don't get me wrong. I'm not having a dip, but I'm just saying we're here to discuss what we think they should do, not not what 
we think they will do. I mean, that's why we talk about selection all the time and we talk about what they should be doing, not what they will do. I mean, that's that's not what we're here for. Okay. Well, let's um, move on. Yeah, I don't even feel like going through player stats. We'll go through a few, but not in any particular detail because, you know, it's the same old. And like the, um, like the team stats showed, um, it really was immaterial. I mean, Leddy had 33, uh, only eight kicks in that 33 disposals, Macca. Eight kicks. It just shows that Rory Laird has such difficulty getting separation against quick midfields, doesn't it? Not all, yeah, not all the time though, because I know a lot of these. Um, he did some very, very, very good forward running handballs as well, to, you know, to players running running past, and um, rather than him just doing a dump kick, and giving it to a player running past. A lot of several times, of course, he's under pressure and he's got to get rid of it by a handball. But um, I thought Rory was one of the one of the very few in the side. In fact, I thought he was our best player that who that actually gave. Uh, us a chance of winning the game by by the way he played. All right, so let's look. Rory had eight kicks. You know, Kelly had 11 kicks in 28. Whitfield had 21 kicks in 28. Coniglio had 15 kicks in 23. Perryman had 10 kicks in 22. I mean, you're kicking gets you territory, it breaks open the zone, it breaks open the defence, it allows you to spread. And I understand Led is that type of player, but it, what I'm saying is he just struggles to get separation, Macca. And he doesn't figure very highly on transition. He's a very much a cold-faced player, but he doesn't figure enough, in my in my opinion, in transition. And when he does, there's a couple of times where he, where he, he got hit up on a short lead and then he turns and kicks it high, it's just not constructive, in my opinion. Yeah, but he, had, he gets a lot of the ball in tight. I mean, he had 11 tackles, for example. Um, I, I just think that um, we don't... You're right, he's not the same type of player as the others, and we, we need one of those type of players. And it isn't Led, but that's not Led's fault. <laughs> no, 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 not Led's fault. It just, But it shows the importance of not having three of those guys in the middle, doesn't it? Well, yeah, we've got three of the same. And that's the well, Apart from Dawson, who can actually find a, a target. Yeah, Dawson, but, Dawson will leg it out of there and hit a target more so than Laird. But, you know, at, like, so we had Laird and Dawson, 33 and 27. You've got to go down to Sloan had 17 touches as our third mid. You know, had 57 ranking points, six kicks, shocking. 11 handballs. You know, I mean, and Keys well, also 17 kicks, 7 and 10. I mean, so yeah, there's your four midfielders, right? If you compare that to to Kelly, Whitfield, Coniglio, and, um, you know, you got some other players just running through there, Green. like Green yeah, and, Green, and, Green and, through and there that. Well. Yeah, and Callum Ward. Yep. You know, I mean, so much more dynamic. And I guess this is the point, isn't it, that we're so one-dimensional in our, in our midfield set-up set um, and if you've got one player that can't get separation, it puts a lot of pressure on the rest of them. Yeah, what Kelly can do, what Green can do, what Cornelio can do, they can, they've got pace and they can burst from them in the midfield. And that, and that gives a totally different dimension to the forwards. They've got op- opportunities to break and because they got na- and uh, the guy that's going to deliver the ball, he's going to have opportunities to give it to somebody. But if you're uh, under pressure and doing a scrambly old kick, well, 
you really are struggling to get it to another player and the players down the field are going to be struggling to get it when it comes down there. So it's yeah. a difference in, in the way it's being delivered from that centre. Yeah. And I understand right. that. And, and uh, But, you know, yeah, um, you know, Lair, well, I forgive Lair because he, get, he earns hard ones. Uh, Dawson, Dawson's good. He's a bit of a freak. But, yeah, we do need that burst player, that really burst player that really takes you apart. Well, we need blokes on the outside, don't we? Um, yeah. Fadi just put up clearance numbers for the season and their totals. Um, Fadi, there's somewhere, and I saw it today, and I, I'm trying to find it while we're talking. Someone today put up the average or the clearance per CBA um, stat up, and I'll try to keep finding it while we're talking. But it basically showed that the kids' ratios of clearances uh, as, a, as a percentage of their total centre bounce attendances was right up with up, up there with everyone except Laird. So you're not actually losing anything. I think Rochelle and Pedler's um, clearance stats per um, CBA were quite solid. Um, and, you know, it sort of makes a mockery of them being protected by not being run through there. Um you know, so the, the totals don't actually tell the full story. It doesn't also, it doesn't tell the story about how the, the lack of development of the young, young players as well. Well, that's right. Anyway, uh, we'll move on. Um, so, yeah, apart from those two midfielders, we had Smith with 22 useless kicks and five handballs. Um, there were time, I was watching Smith closely from my vantage point, and there were times, Macca, where he just did not look. He actually, I nearly cartwheeled when he did a beautiful pass to somebody, and uh, I was waiting for the big dump kick, and he actually looked and hit somebody on the chest, and I think it's about yeah. only one of his kicks that he did. So, um, yeah. yeah. No, the master, there were master of the dump. Plenty of times where he's coming out of defence where he did not look, and you could see that he did not look. Yeah. Um, anyway... Um, I thought Hinge played all right again, uh, building a really good, good season. I, he'd be top five in now BNF, I'd imagine. Mac, what do you think? Yeah, he, look, he, the more responsibility he's been given, though, I think the better he's played, actually. Okay. And um, since he's had to get, like, they moved Dawson in the midfield and they put him back now, and he took, took on Dawson's role, I think he's played, he played very, very well. And yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he'd be in our top five. Agreed. Um, Miller, um, he was he was okay. I wouldn't say I wouldn't quite agree with Tomo that it was his best game for the season. I thought a couple of weeks ago he had a really good game, um, but he's getting more of the ball. Um, he only squibbed it once. Uh, um, no, it's not quite what I was looking at, buddy. Anyway, um, you know he's more compo- his composure has has improved Macca, I think that's probably the biggest thing that his composure under pressure has improved he's able to get get clear and deliver the ball um I'd like to I'd like to see him run with the ball a little bit more Mac um, yeah but uh certainly he's on the improved better, far better than what he looked at the beginning of the year well he had 21 disposals and a couple of tackles and uh, he was well in the game. I do remember the incident you were talking about, which was a bit average. But um, he kind of just stuck an arm out, didn't he? Yeah, rather than got the, getting the body in the way. Yeah. Oh, good. I found it. Um. So, 
Centre bounces are tenancies for the year. Sorry, go on, mate. Yeah. No, you can you go ahead with yours. Centre bounces are tenancies for the year. Um, clearance percentages per attendance, right? Peddler and Saligo are at 15%. Lead is at 14%. Keys is at 11%. Rochelle and Sloan at 10%. And Dawson at 7%. Okay. So in terms of clearance as a clearance as a percentage of um, centre bounce attendances, Peddler and Saligo are our best at 15 um, in turn, if you group the old three and the young three, the young three have had 309 centre bounce attendances for 40 clearances at a 13% win rate. The old three have had 706 centre bounce attendances for 89 clearances, which is also a 39, uh, 13% win rate. So there's no reason why they shouldn't be playing the young kids. And thanks to Froggy on Bigfooty for that. He came up with those numbers, so I'm plagiarising him. But um, it's telling, and, and and the naked eye proves it. We've we've noticed that Peddler, Saligo, and Rankin, uh, sorry, Rochelle, uh, they are very good at centre bounce attendances. They make things happen. They run through the contest at at pace. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think unfortunately, you know, by the giving once they started not giving them Saligo, they they've destroyed him. Um, Rochelle's playing like a frustrated player. Uh, Pedler probably hasn't got an engine to be in there uh, permanently, but I, I'd, I'd like to see him uh, have a lot more attendances at the bounce and then go back to his position. Had one. Just ridiculous. Yeah, one. I mean, Had one. That is, well, you know, he, I, I remember one particular game where we had won six clearances and he, and he won three of them. Yeah, three of them, yeah. So, I mean... He is, a, he is a midfield by nature, midfielder by nature, and just being played in a different position. So I can't see why they won't give him like first in the middle, just even at the centre bounces. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know either, mate. I don't know, but the, but those stats bear that out. You know, we're no better off with the oldies. We may as well be playing the youngies. Um, Sloan seventeen six kicks. 11 handballs was ineffective in his 250th, unfortunately. Ben Keyes, a couple of good moments in his game. Um, but I tell you what, mate, that pass that in the last... Pick, oh. My goodness well, me. Yeah, if you ever wanted an example of why we're not going to win, that was it. That, I mean, that, that's probably one of the worst uh, efforts for a kick I've seen at, at AFL level. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it, like, it's so one-sided. Um, you know, and he just couldn't get on his right side, and he tried to manufacture a left foot kick, and mm. um, it—I mean, it was just, all he had to do was put it over Rash's uh, Rankin's head, um, yeah. and let him run onto it. That's all he had to do, and couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it, and I mean, that was it. That was done. And look, to be honest with you, Mac. I mean, Ben Keyes, we've, we've said for ages that he's a trier and he works hard and all the rest of it. He cannot be a linchpin in our side. He needs to be, um, you know, uh, a role player. He's a role player. He's a hard-working role player. He's not much better than Ned McHenry in terms of that. Well, when he was just playing as a, as a forward uh, to compete in the, in the forward line, he was going very well. Very um, true. And that and that role suited him very well. 
Um, Very true. Every time he goes on the midfield, well, he does get a reasonable amount of the ball, but his usage of it is horrible. Yeah, well, I think um, Andalus asked, "Does he deserve to be in our best twenty-two? I think he does in the right role, and I would say that the obvious move with the right pre-season is a swap between Keys and Pedler next year, and for Keys mm. to play that half-forward role, that defensive half-forward role, and for Pedler to have Keys's midfield minutes, and you know that's all on Luke to um, continue to work on his fitness and build an engine." Um, but I, I think Keys has some value. Um, but you know, you can tell the players don't trust him. I mean, I know Tex likes a goal, but he didn't mind kicking a left foot snap instead of uh, giving it off to Keys in the goal square, did he? <laughs> uh, I mean, he does like his left foot snaps and generally very good with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was a good one in the end, but it made me laugh. Um, all right, Nick Murray, uh, I thought was uh, probably in our top three, uh, continues to have an excellent season. Uh, Hogan got a couple of touches, but I thought Murray was pretty good overall. What do you think? Outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. And uh, and um, they were talking about it on the radio. Uh, he was taken, I think, as, as the last player in, in a pre-season draft. I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah he was and, the last uh, player on our list a few years ago. Yeah, and I'll tell you what... Um, He's very high up in terms of being amongst the best in our list. I mean, he, 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 I thought he was excellent today, and I don't think there's any week that he, like, he might have a day one now and then when he, when he might make an error or two, but um, I thought he was outstanding today. He didn't make too many errors today. He was, he was terrific, very I good. thought. Very good. Um, you know, and again, it makes you wonder whether sometimes we need to just flick a switch and stick him up forward for five minutes, Mac, and let him just bust a pack open. We've actually we have done that a couple of times in the past, and, and he's and he's looked likely. So uh, not often enough, I don't think. Oh, I'd be, I'd be going back at least last year. Um, I think we might have tried it once or twice, and but uh, and not not starting there, but just going there for a, a quarter or so. Yeah, but, just just yeah. swap it out. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, Worrell uh, looks like he's been in the side for 150 games. He's done so well, in my opinion, and I'm so happy for the lad um, because he worked bloody hard. We had to wait a long time to get his chance. Um, 15 disposals off half-back uh, and a couple of intercept marks and generally played pretty well. Uh, unlike Max, who I think is tiring, and as you say, Mark got, uh, Mac had got set up to fail playing on green. Bloody hell. I mean, that was just yeah. a... Why would you do that? That would be after the solid drinking session if you're going to make that selection and then seal it seriously. I mean, uh, it gets back on Warrell. Yeah, Warrell's been fantastic. I mean, the guy, from the very first game he's played this year, he just looked like he should have been there all the time. And uh, he he played very, very well. And look look at that. Michael Annie is feeling the pinch just a little bit, but to put him on a green... Well, he's been set up two weeks in a row, hasn't he? I mean, last week we played one short in defence and Max had to play tall uh, and got found out. This week he's playing on probably top five in the comp and just a hard unit. And, you know, Max is like blow over in a strong gale. (laughs) Yeah. No, not his fault. Yeah. No, I read true. I don't think Max is a midfielder, no. Um, O'Brien, we've spoken about uh, the lucky show. I mean, poor old Harry. How does Lucky Child get a run um, and give us 11 disposals off the wing? 
That's the that's the outside run that I'm talking about, Macca, that we lack. Well, that's the, that's his role, but he but he was very marshmallowy uh, today. I, I didn't think he, I didn't think he made too much effort today. No, he, he a lot of people. A lot of people were critical of his uh, effort in the last quarter where he sort of ended up getting caught. Um, in his defence, and I'd, like, again, my spot where I was sitting allowed me to see it, he had absolutely no one to kick it to. You wouldn't have seen it on the screen. In fact, you didn't see it on the on the telly, but he had right. no one to kick He had no one to kick it to. The ball had been switched and no one came across, so he had to hold the ball up. The problem was that... Um, he, there was an easy chip kick going back the other way, and he second guessed himself. But when he yeah. looked up the first time and went, and there was no one there offering a lead. It would have come straight back over his head. I'm sure we've got uh, someone in the twos, that, like even an Ann Curvis or what, somebody like that who who should be given a go. Cole's uh, uh, not going to be the long term answer thing. No, oh no, I agree. Jed makes the perfect point. Child can't break lines. That's what you want your wingman to be able to do. Remember when Rory Sloan used to play wing and, and do those gut runs on the fat side of the ground and just bust a line and kick it in from 50? That's the sort of play you want on the wing. We don't have any pace on our wings. We don't have any line breakers on our wings. Um, you know, Shoal is just your perennial short passer. He, he works hard and all the rest of it, but he's not a playmaker. Um, and I, I, I mean, we've said it for a few weeks now. Uh, he's not the answer. Yeah, no argument there. Yeah, Jordy uh, Butts. Yeah, just a just a game from Jordy. I didn't think he was terribly bad yeah. or terribly good. I thought I thought he was pretty insipid actually. Um, uh, I think he was saved by the other backman quite a bit. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, um, Muzz was certainly more uh, proactive. Uh, Fogarty had a shocker in my opinion after particularly after quarter time uh, just could not hang on to the ball could not take the ball not only um, you know airily but on the deck he was fucking hopeless it was like a cake of soap for him yeah he, as I said I think he had six touches in the first quarter and eight for the game so I mean that three quarters of a game to have two touches yeah not it, it wasn't a good game from Darcy I don't it, He's starting to look heavy again. I don't know. Like we all know that he's worked bloody hard in the preseason, and I just wonder whether he's just running out of puff. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, look, I, the guy. I, I don't know whether uh, was Taylor standing him because uh, I think I think Taylor was. No, Taylor Ta- was Taylor. I think Taylor was on text. He may have been on tech. Taylor is, is probably the best fullback in the comp at the moment. He is an outstanding player. Yeah, yeah. Well, Taylor was on tech, so I'm pretty sure. So that wasn't the reason. Look, yeah, he made position a few times, but but he, he couldn't take the ball. Um, ranking our pick five, uh, ten disposals, nine kicks, and one handball. Glory um, to. Well, you know, as we've spoken about already. We needed to break that up. Uh, Rochelle, our number six draft pick in our in his second season, uh, nine nine disposals, six kicks, three handballs, and two weeks suspension. Uh, Tex was great up until about halfway through the second quarter. Then 
left the building and only ended up with eight touches for the game. Two goals, no, two from five kicks. No touches in the second half. No, still thought the same. In fact, our whole forward line, uh, I know the delivery wasn't great, but our, our whole forward line couldn't get their hands on the agate. Thilthorpe, eight touches. McAdam, seven touches and subbed. I mean, our you know, our whole forward line was pretty rank. Well, it was. Absolutely, absolutely rank. You know, and like I said, the delivery in wasn't great, but I saw plenty of opportunities that went begging because of, um, you know, uh, poor ball handling or just not taking chances or trying to do too much in Rochelle's, um case. Um, so yeah, so I mean that's really all we need to talk about with regards to the uh, individuals. Um, yeah, and, and really, we've gone from heroes the week after the buy in in you know the old honourable loss uh, to Collingwood, and and looking very much like it. That that was about our last shot. Unfortunately. Um we probably have. Um, I, they will still try and, and make they make the eight because I mean um, the coach is he, he's probably he's probably thinking to himself I've got to make the eight or to get an extension on my on my uh, contract. Um, well, the club but, have got to come out and say to him, Macca, that they that finals isn't the benchmark, and surely to God, surely to God. The club is saying that. If the club's not telling Matthew Nix that finals is in the back, if the club is putting pressure on Nix for revenue reasons, you know, to get crowds back up and get membership up and all the rest of it, if they are saying we need to get into the finals, then we, we are a joke of a club and we might as well just shut this podcast down because we're not following a footy club. Well, the only thing is, though, Fane, is that um, they... Every club wants to, be, wants to play finals, and at this stage, I reckon um, they'll certainly pick their sides trying to to win it uh, and get into the finals, at least for the next couple of games. Couple of game. It might the world be after the next couple of games, but Blind Freddy can see it's good, you know, good night, Irene, and all over, and uh, then they should immediately start play, uh, picking their sides accordingly. But uh, I, I still go back to the Sloan issue. I don't want to see Sloan in the middle. Well, I mean, you just contradicted yourself because you said they're going to pick to play finals. That's what they've been doing for the last month, and that includes playing Sloan in the middle. Well, no, I'm not contradicting myself because I said I wouldn't have him in the middle at all. So um, uh, I I would think that they'll pick their best team, but I, if they're going to put Sloan in, they put him on the wing. That's what I think. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is if you think that they're going to continue to pick a side to make finals then there's nothing to suggest that they're going to change things up because they've been doing that for the last month. Look, I know what you're saying is technically correct and likely, likely what will happen. That's not what I believe should happen, though. No, I agree with you, 100%, 100%. But what what you're suggesting, should have it should have been the whole... It should have been the theme for the season, Macca. Because exactly. like we said at the beginning of the podcast... It was the kids that actually got us into the position of, of being a chance at finals in the first place. Exactly. I, I, that's really where it all started to go wrong. Yep. 
So you know that's when uh, and and that's what I that's where it comes back to trust. And the I think is. that's the biggest issue. It's tr- it's a lack of trust by the coaching panel on the kids that want to take this club forward. Yeah, well, you know, ironically, if they put reinstate the young legend, then they probably might give themselves the best chance of making the eight. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't no, matter. It doesn't matter. No, it, I 100% agree with that. 100%. I don't give a stuff if we make the finals or not. Um, all I want is that uh, I would like to see that we do get players from other clubs that, um, and preferably a midfielder of high quality. Yeah, I'm certainly on the, on the same page on that. Um, and also try and work out a game plan that we can practice at this stage that's different to what we're doing at the moment because the one we've got at the moment has got a few holes in it. Yeah. So we're going to have Rochelle out next week and for the next couple. Yeah. Um, we're going to... Uh, we need to... Well, in my opinion, we need to think about what we're going to do with Chase Jones. I think he needs to go into the midfield. So I, I would suggest that if if Nankervis at the very least isn't in the 22 next week and if Harry Schoenberg isn't in the in the 22 next week, then we're not serious. Um, did you say Nankervis first? Yep. Um. Well, t- tell me about it, because I'm not up to what the trees have been doing. So, uh, yeah, he's been, been playing very—he's been playing very well off half back. He's tall. He runs. Uh, he's got a good kick. He's athletic. Um, it's t- and he's been playing like that for a month, and he's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm lukewarm on, on getting Redmond because I, I think he's—we've got that type of player sitting under our nose with a bit of development. So, two two years on the or a year and a half on the list. Um, you know, he's been very, very good and deserves an opportunity. Yep, fair enough. You know, um, and I think if uh, if we're going to get more out of Jones, we can get him off a half-back flank and put Nankervis on a half-back flank, move Jones up to the wing, get rid of Lockie Scholl. You know, there's one piece of the puzzle gone. Um, I think you could probably piss Rory Sloan to a half-forward flank in place of Rochelle for a couple of weeks. Um, piss keys off to a forward pocket or whatever and start using Luke Pedler a little bit more. Uh, Schoenberg's got to come back in. I would have said the same about Barry, but if he's got COVID, that's a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, Dowling, people in the chat are saying Dowling's had a very good month, but I don't know, he's a bit light and it's his first year on the list, so I wouldn't yeah. be I wouldn't be disappointed if he doesn't quite get an opportunity this year, but he's certainly showing good signs. But uh, Daly is a guy of good talent, but I think you're right about his lightness. I think that yeah. uh, he, he builds up over the summer and he, and he could be a good candidate for next year. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I think. Um, you know, will it happen? Someone in the chat said, you know, what will happen is that we'll get... They'll give Ned a run for Rochelle and uh, Shui have been sub and that'll be it. That'd be very disappointing if that happened. Yeah, so... Look, it's a bit deflating. Uh, you wonder whether, um, you know, we all as supporters got a bit caught up in the in the excitement. Uh, um, but I think, you know, we've consistently said that success this year shouldn't 
have um, shouldn't have overridden development, and I think we've been pretty consistent in banging on about that, Macca, haven't we, all season? That this year really is about taking the next step developmentally. I agree with uh, I think it was Tomo that said that I, I'm very sceptical about Van Bello as a midfield coach. I don't feel like we're progressing at all in the midfield space, either selection, setups, whatever, ball movement, you know, connectivity between between defence and forwards. I don't feel like we've made any strides at all. It did seem no. like we had for a while when we were playing the young lads through there, but now we're back to the old stodgy shit again. Ironically, that's 100% correct because we did look like we really had it, uh, had it down pat and... It was yeah. really, and you know, all the scribes were saying. Breathtaking at times. Yeah, the scribes were saying how good we are and how they want the movement to attack. And uh, there was some there saying that's got the best attack in the competition, all that sort of stuff. But, yep, as usual, we shit our pants and. <laughs> yeah. no good. Uh, our ball movement, ball, ball movement was breathtaking when we were willing to run the lines, will, willing to work the angles, hit up the short passes, drop our eyes going into forward 50, all those things, Macca. If you go back and have a look at, you know, round five, six, seven, and look at some of the stuff we were doing and compare it to what we offered up against Essendon last week and GWS this week, you'd think you were watching a different team. Yeah, you would. Yeah, there's no comparison. So, you know, people asking who would I get as a midfield coach, I don't bloody know someone else <laughs> I don't know I'd love to get Josh Look. Carr on the crew um, but uh, you know and that's the same with who would I re- replace Matthew Nix with obviously hard work but he's not on the he's not on the market um, you know I don't I don't know I don't know but someone so with, I, what do you what do you think about Nathan Buckley Mac just to round out the conversation um well, I never really rated Nathan as a coach, so probably I'm not the right person to ask. Um, um, look, I, I, see, it seemed to me like when McRae took over from Buckley, it was that Buckley expected uh, to play the players uh, to play for him, whereas McRae, they want to play for McRae, which is a... Uh, there is a difference in it. One is demanding it, another one is getting it because they want to and really McRae looks like he's just built he just built he built a team of, of players that want to play as a team but Buckley couldn't didn't seem to be able to do that so I'm, I'm not sold on Buckley yeah to be fair on Nathan uh McRae's been kissed on the dick when it comes to a couple of guns that Buckley didn't have well, that is true. I mean, the day cost the situation, yeah. No well, doubt about Darcy that. Moore. Yeah. Well, Darcy Moore was there then. Yeah, but he was only a kid. Um, I Look, I, I'm a bit, I, I really like Nathan the way Nathan Buckley speaks on commentary. I think he's extremely knowledgeable and insightful. Um, but you know that he's a galvanising type and that he will demand a lot out of players. So I think it would depend on whether he has learnt a bit uh, from his experience at Collingwood and whether whether he'd be able to be more constructive in his approach. But 
Remember I said earlier that we needed a hard-ass coach to take us to the next level? Well, in many respects, a guy like Nathan Buckley is exactly that. Yeah, I don't know about the hard-ass coach, but I mean, they've got to be, have, they do have to have a hard edge to them. There's no doubt about that. But they also oh, have ruthless the... Ruthless on selection, ruthless in decision-making. That's what I mean okay. by hard-ass, not a yeller. Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Yep. But so, they, I mean, they'd be that tight, wouldn't he? Well, the ability, uh, I think, is to work relationships with players as well with, with the coach. I mean, to, the better the relationship you've got with the player, the more he's going to want to play for you. So, yeah, there's got to be a hard edge on top of it too but when it, when it's not happening. But, um, you know, I can see that some of the successful clubs, you can see that the players are playing for the coach. Well, you know, you look at Port, they're, they're definitely playing for Hinkley, and yet Hinkley's not the one... By all reports, that's making all the tactical moves. So, I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, what's the most important remit for the uh, for the main coach? And has the landscape changed where the main coach is more of a relationship manager, and it's just it's your assistant coaches that you need to invest more in? I, I'm not quite sure, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's interesting, but um, I think what will happen is Nick will be the coach next year. I think that will that will discontinue um, and it would, I think that it'd be very unlikely he'll be the coach the year after unless we do something special next year Yeah, what do you think about Beveridge? Well uh, I see where PJ Razor was just about to reply to him saying I hate Beveridge um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't think he's a good coach, I mean seriously that, that sounds ridiculous when you want a premiership but the midfield that he's got, and yeah, I think I he just, was kissed on a dick too. Yeah, I, I just can't believe that they lose games with the midfield they've got, and um, and also I don't think he will, often doesn't have the players in the right position as well, and in, in the forward lines and the back line. So, uh, no, I don't rate him. Well, I don't rate him. That's unfair because the guy's won a flag, but he's not the guy I'd want anyhow. Yeah, I, I think Beveridge was a. a Big beneficiary of a couple of really good drafts, and a you know, yeah, um, you know, I mean, you have to be able to coach to win a flag, but I think he got them up. But like, he hasn't done a lot with that list since, and they've had some bloody good talent through there. Like, not a lot changed on that list, has it? No, I mean, they've got an outstanding ruckman, they've got outstanding mids, and they've got a couple of good forwards, um, and they probably suffer a little bit down back, but um. They should be doing better than they are. Yeah. So, look, it's a conversation for the future. It's just hypothetical, but it's I mean, you know, it's that you've you've got to be lucky, I think, to a degree. Um, you know, but I think you've got to also. The clubs have to be pretty good these days at um, at how they screen potential coaches, and gone are the days of just having a a, a panel of you know, Lee Matthews and all those old stages and, you know, they got their ideas. I think, you know, it's tough finding an executive job in in the real world. I think it should be just as tough with the same sort of metrics for a, a professional senior coach as well. I don't know whether we're quite that sophisticated yet in, in AFL land. Um, well, our history said no. Um, yeah. we, I mean, we... It's very, very hard, actually, to find a perfect coach. I mean, um, 
Pike was a was a good coach, but he lacked in uh, relationships apparently. And uh, but uh, they were supposed to be strategically pretty good. But uh, yeah, so you know, it, it's really a fine one that's got got both that, that's really tactically very smart and, uh, and and got the personality to actually have the players have a buy in with with him. It, it's there aren't well, obviously only one one, one team wins the flag each year, which proves the point. Yeah, and look, I think, you know, it's important for players to have buy-in and, and you can't argue that the players have bought in. Um, uh, you know, Nick's has done a very, very good job of getting buy-in for the play- from the players. But as I said, I think that can turn really quick. If he continues to show a lack of trust in the in the juniors, then that, that will erode the buy-in very quickly. And I reckon he's right at that point at the moment, Macca, where, you know, the... We interviewed the kids, you know, over the last couple of years we've interviewed the kids and they're all champing at the bit to take the club to the next step and all the rest of it. Then they don't get the opportunity to do that. And I think for a while they can kind of cop the fact that, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we're still developing and whatnot. But when they see blokes like Sloan and that keep turning in those efforts and, they, and they're stuck on a half-forward flank, you can't blame them for, for starting to lose that, that buy-in. And I think... It's a balancing act that Nix is going to have to uh, successfully uh, work through uh, to have any chance of being of getting another contract with this group. Yeah, well, I think he's got to buy in from the players. What he really needs is uh, to continue to have a relationship with the player, but he needs a Josh Carter as the type of person, as an assistant who's really smart that can pull all the right moves. I mean, there's no doubt Hickley's not coaching Port Adelaide. He's down there patting everybody and going Yahoo when they win and all the rest of it. But uh, there's no doubt Josh Carr is doing, he's pulling all the moves upstairs. So, you, I mean, that was supposedly a combination of Nathan Van Berlo and Scott Burns. Um, so you're saying maybe we need to have a look at a couple of our assistants? Exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't... I don't they're not good enough. No, they're not. They aren't good enough. We don't make the right moves at the right time. We're too late with the move. We don't make it at all. Um, uh, and I and I yeah. They some, I think Van Burley should definitely go. There's no no, no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, and look, because I think Nick's, Nick's has got. I think he's done well with his buy-in with the player. He, there's no doubt about that. But I don't think he's ultra smart as a coach. So that means he's got to have. Uh, good assistant coaches, and I don't think ours are smart enough. Yeah. Hey, look, it's a very interesting talking point, Mac, whether whether the role of the of the senior coach has changed a little bit. I mean, Port, whenever Port are uh, having a, a good, successful year, it's usually because it, Hinkley is backed by a very good assistant. He's had Richardson and Walsh, and, you know, uh, now he's got Carr, Um you know, he's always benefited from a really good assistant. Uh, it's hard to know what other clubs are like, but it does beg the question, when you do have a coach, and there's no doubt that Nick's has done very well to have those relationships with the players, you know, is that his biggest strength and do we need to underpin it with a strategic um, thinker? My worry is that it's, there's a propensity under the current coaching regime to not trust the juniors, and if that continues, it doesn't matter what they do; they'll lose those kids. Well, if you know, if you have the right people uh, doing the strategy, they will take that into account. 
Um, those I mean, assistant coaches aren't on on selection committee. They are. No. Well, I would say they have some influence. So, I mean, um, Port Ad- Port Adelaide have had no hesitation in, in trying juniors and putting him in, putting him in there. Um, um, Agree. So, and you're quite right about uh, with Kenny is if you look at the Kenny's coaching career and look who his assistant coaches are. The rise and fall of Kenny over those uh, 10 or 11 years or whatever it is, there are years where he's gotten really good and he's had top assistant coaches, they leave, and the next year they're not so good and he goes down and he gets another good assistant coach in and up he goes again. And, you know, that's, if, you look, if you did a graph of uh, Kenny's results and uh, matched it up with who his assistant coaches were, you'd see, you'd see quite clearly that he is the front man who the players love and... There's other people who are doing all the all the uh, tactics and uh, game plan behind the behind it all. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and like that, that's where, and that's where I think we're weak. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the club's in a very interesting position. It's been a while, and certainly the first time under Nix's tenure that we have gone from you know being being acceptable to be at the bottom half of the of the ladder uh, to, to now you know blowing you know, ostensibly blowing a finals opportunity. So, um, you know, there's, what, four or five games left. It will be a very interesting little case study to see how the club and the coaching panel and selection handle the next, you know, four or five weeks in terms of selection, uh, in terms of who they play um, and how they play, whether they just release the shackles and, and let them run. Um and I think it'll say a lot about what next year looks like, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think you're right there, Payne. Yeah. All right, well, look, let's leave it there because we've gone over two hours, mate. It's been a bit of an epic one. Thanks to um, um, Tomo and um, Arab and sorry to Tom uh, in terms of coming on, but uh, thanks for the input of everyone live thanks also to everyone who's chatted uh, both on youtube and on discord uh it's just fantastic um uh, just fantastic the support that we get on a sunday night macker and it really makes this cast uh move so uh, thanks to everyone for your ongoing support we will be back again obviously next sunday night at eight thirty. but until then thank you everyone thank you macker take care yep that'll do yeah. And we'll see you all next week. Good night, everyone. Yeah, good night, all. See ya.